Welcome to Religious Studies News. I'm your host, Christian Peterson, and today I'm here with Sam Gill, who's Professor Emeritus of Religious Studies at the University of Colorado Boulder and winner of the AAR Book Award in Analytical Descriptive Studies. He's here to speak to us about his book, The Proper Study of Religion, Building on Jonathan Z. Smith, which was published with Oxford University Press. Congratulations, Sam, and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Christian. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so this is a, a, a was a really fascinating book. Um, as somebody who's a, a fan both of Jonathan, Jonathan Z. Smith's work um, and then also uh, come, come to learn of yours uh, through some of his work, uh, it was great to see this kind of dialogue happening. And um, while Jay-Z Smith is, is really central to the book, uh, I think what you do that... Uh, might be something that other people could emulate is you really put his work into a kind of constructive dialogue. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about um, who Jay-Z Smith was in relationship to you. You guys uh, had a kind of long parallel together and talk a little bit about how this project came together. Yes, I'm happy to do that. Uh, it's a kind of long story. I'll try to give the short version. <laughs> Uh, I uh, started at the uh, University of Chicago in 1967. Uh, I was actually a student of math and business at the time, but this was the period when uh, the study of religion was just blossoming due to that Supreme Court decision in 1963 that made it legal uh, to teach religion in state-supported universities. So I arrived there in 67, and Jonathan arrived there in 68. And he was uh, from, uh, from the University of Santa Barbara at that time where he had been teaching and finishing his dissertation on uh, James George Fraser's The Golden Bough. So I took courses from Smith uh, all the time I was there. And then of course, uh, have known him over the entire period from that point till the time of his death, which was uh, the very uh, next to the last day of uh, 2017. Uh, I think many people would agree that Jonathan is one of the most important scholars in the study of religion in the last 25 years or so. And I, uh, though I, my work is completely different than his and my background and uh, interests are completely different than his, he inspired me throughout the entire time. So I consider him really one of my main mentors. Um, so the way the project came about after his death at the end of 2017, the uh, NAASR asked me uh, to do a little presentation on him at the, um, at the annual meeting, which was in November of 2018. And when I began to put that, that material together for that, I realized that though I had known Jonathan for nearly 50 years, it was like 49 years, um, I had uh, written about him some, but there were a lot of issues that I felt uh, I really needed to address just to make clear where, uh, how I could understand his influence on me over all that time, despite our vast differences. So while I uh, put together that, that a little presentation for the NAASR, I realized I just had a whole lot more to write about. And uh, the, the book, The Proper Study of Religion, then just 
kind of emerged from that. I really had no intention of writing it, had no plan of what I wanted to do with it. I simply wanted to engage a conversation with his work and with both of our pasts uh, to sort of make sense of the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a very fruitful project because it does seem that uh, uh, the, the way you've kind of organized it, all of these concepts and ideas that you're both engaging with and then kind of producing yourself are, are built on each other. But then also it seems that each chapter probably could be read on its own uh, and maybe used in, in classes uh, separately too. So um, I, I hope others kind of take this on um, in, a, in a similar way. Uh, you, you start the book with thinking about uh, Smith's study of, of Frazier's Golden Bough and thinking about concepts of comparison. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how Smith employed the comparative method and then in what possible ways uh, we can extend his approach? Uh, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, well, when I, when I was first asked to talk about Smith, the first thing that came to my mind was comparison because uh, I felt that um, this was one of his greatest contributions, but also one that was both misunderstood and overlooked. Uh, my sense of Smith's understanding of comparison was that for him, it began with his Fraser studies. And he only published one article on Fraser in his entire career. He had really planned to do a second one, but he never did. And there's some sort of intrigue and mystery about why Jonathan didn't ever want to publish a book on Fraser, why he didn't want to publish his dissertation, um, all those kind of issues. But I had read his dissertation carefully and found in it uh, all of the elements that I think emerged in his work throughout his career, and especially that of comparison. Yet when I read uh, the works that people have written about Smith's comparison, they almost never refer to his Fraser work. Uh, so that gave me then an opportunity to sort of frame his work, but then also in this chapter to review the many, many studies he did. I mean, he did historical studies on the history of comparison. He did um, sort of, uh, uh, method studies to show all the different forms and methods that uh, comparison has taken. And then he offered his own critiques of all of those uh, and uh, sometimes hinted at least at a kind of program that uh, would be for, uh, that he would suggest would be important for the comparison and the study of religion. My sense is that everybody was looking for kind of a straight method and what he did in a weird little uh, concluding chapter to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, a, a work of a collection of works on his uh, comparison in comparison to Magic Dwells, uh, uh, Pat, Kimberly Patton did that book. That he, he laid out a kind of a linear method and a lot of people grabbed on that as what he wanted to do with comparison. My sense is in reading all of his work related to comparison that that was sort of the least interesting aspect of his work. So to make this whole thing very uh, brief, what I found is that Smith really employed two types of comparison. One that he used extensively in Fraser's the, uh, work on the Golden Bough was 
what I would call a um, limited objective type of comparison. And this is basically nothing more than source criticism as to say, Fraser gave this example. Uh, he cited the source. Did he use his source properly? Uh, if he didn't, why didn't he? And what's the story behind that? And he did that for Fraser on literally tens of thousands of examples. So this kind of comparison, that limited objective comparison really creates a, a, a conclusion. You, you, you compare, you know what it was, and that then gives rise to either telling a story or critiquing uh, the work that you're working with. The other kind of comparison he did, which I think was the more productive in a certain way, I would call a subjective heuristic style of comparison. And in this, you put two things together and based on the scholar's own interest, you allow those two things to kind of percolate with one another and just see what happens. And Smith did this a lot and he proposed this a lot. And this does not lead to then an immediate answer, but it leads then to an ongoing uh, a line of inquiry that can last a week, a month, a year, your whole lifetime. Uh, so that I think that these two kinds of comparison that Smith used can still be used uh, and absolutely should be used in the study of religion as we go forward. Um, you also explore the idea of place in developing a definition of religion and uh, how it intersects with notions of play, which has uh, been central to a lot of your work. Um, so how are the dynamics of play fundamental to Smith's theories of, of place and myth and religion and, and ritual and so on? Right. This comes at an at a intersection of a lot of the work that I have done sort of throughout my whole career. Uh, um, the, my current work on this is focused on the notion of moving. Uh, so if I, if I were to uh, distinguish movement, which is what's most commonly considered, which is a change of place, with moving, which is the actual action of ongoingness, then we have a, a very important distinction. And that is when you consider movement, then you're moving from one place to another place. And that aligns, I think, with the way that the study of religion has really seen its objectives. And that is, we have a problem, uh, we have a historical situation, we have a cultural situation, we have a religious situation. And where we take a stand on that leads us to where we'll come out on that. It gives us answers, it gives us meaning, it gives us interpretation. Now, what I have wanted to do and invoke both play and my notion of movement moving is that if you put the process back in, uh, play is kind of ongoingness. When play ends, then, uh, or when, when movement stops, then the play stops. Uh, so what I wanted to focus on is the ongoingness that ought to be a part of a proper study of religion. And when you do that, then you focus much more on the dynamics than on change of place. And so that gives rise to a whole new understanding of how we ought to go forward with what we do. And that is, <laughs> we ought to look at the uh, elements that energize our subject. 
And that's usually, why did we go there in the first place? Well, something vital and exciting and unexplainable uh, and, and powerful pr uh, emerges from this subject matter. And it's not a problem to be solved. It's a process and a dynamic and a force and a vitality to be understood. So when we shift then to ideas of play and place and, and moving, then we put away these notions that were that we need to understand the place on which we stand, which is what Smith often referred to. And we can also give up notions that we're looking for the interpretation or the meaning or the solution to the situation. Uh, and then we explore then the vitality of the dynamics of it all. Uh, so that's really my own contribution of the book is to emphasize that as important to the study of religion going forward. Yeah, and, uh, and one of the uh, terms you use uh, to kind of think about this is this word transduction. Um, and this is kind of involved with uh, issues of sensory experience, the role of the body, and then movement, as you were saying. C can you tell us what, what you mean when you use this term transduction and how maybe other scholars could go about uh, participating in this process? Of course. It's a, it, this is a fun topic, and I frankly don't quite remember where that term originated for me. Uh, but transduction really means, for me at least, uh, a change in the form of reality. Uh, and, and the most obvious example of that, that as scholars of religion we encounter constantly, is that the materials that we study are usually writings, or perhaps writings supplemented with visual or graphic materials. But those writings and materials really represent a living subject. So the living subject is a very sensory rich, sensory drenched uh, subject with all of the senses involved. Um, and anyone who's done any field work at all or engaged in any contact with a religious activity at all, knows how rich that sensory aspect of religion is. It's actually known for its sensory elements. It's very visual, it's very, uh, uh, the, the smells, the sounds, the food, everything is so important. Yet what we study is the transduction of that extreme multi-dimensional richness into simply uh, printed words on pages. And we then often simply limit ourselves to just those printed words. And we never think, well, what happened when we go from the sensory rich subject to the printed word? Uh, and, uh, and, and that then becomes then, I think, an important topic that I think is most commonly engaged in uh, scholars that are working with translation, for example. Uh, but I think it is not extensively uh, considered in terms of what about the real living subjects? Because these are bodied, breathing, living human beings. And, uh, and if we were more aware of this notion of transduction, 
then my sense is we ought to be more aware of who those people are. Um, another interesting uh, concept you introduce uh, is something called story tracking. And this is the kind of your own take on a, the comparative method. Um, can, can you tell us what this approach is all about um, and how did you come to develop, to develop it? Huh. <laughs> that, uh, that's a great, that's a great question. Thank you for that. Um, story tracking came about for me. I was, uh, I was, I had written a little book called uh, Beyond the Primitive in which I used uh, an example that Mircea Eliade offered uh, from an Australian culture in Central Australia. And that example was about the world axis and how people use a pole to connect with God after God was cre created the world and so forth. And Iliadi says, well, when they broke the pole, they all laid down and died because uh, this is a perfect example that uh, religious people cannot live without a center and without access to uh, their God. So I had published that in a little book and somebody wrote me a letter and said, well, we actually looked up the source for this and it doesn't really seem quite like that works. And I was blown away because that was my whole training from Jonathan and everyone else is, you know, look up your sources and I hadn't done that. So that then launched me into a multi-year uh, uh, project that took me to Australia Actually, this relates to the last question you asked, transduction, transduction, because I wanted to trace down where did Eliade get this, uh, this example, which was happened to be one of the, the very main ones he used throughout his entire career to establish his uh, theory of religion. I wanted to know where that came from, how it came about, and trace it back to the actual body, who was this Aboriginal that gave him this information. Uh, so that that was then a um, a multi-year uh, project. It took me to Australia twice. Um, I uh, went to many libraries and uh, archives to search out the documents. So it goes from Iliadi to his sources to their field work to their field notes to the person that I could actually find. And what I discovered in that process. Um, uh, in a book that I wrote called Story Tracking is that the closer you got to the source of this material, the farther away you got from the reality of what uh, uh, Iliadi was trying to present. So the whole thing sort of exploded then. Uh, and that left me then with the question, well, do I simply say that my teacher, Mircea Iliadi, who was a very, very famous uh, scholar, was simply irresponsible or had it wrong or what do I do with that? Um, so what I began to understand is that scholarship, just like everything else, are people who are living, trying to make sense of the world and they have their own stories. So I began then to say, well, Iliadi has his story, but then uh, people like, uh, uh, the uh, people like uh, Spencer and Gillen, who were the people in Australia who collected this material, had their stories, and many, many other people that were involved in this whole complex had their stories as well. So that left me then this idea that if I were to track each of these stories, 
they all then really stem from this one example, but they tell then a whole range of stories, a network of stories that reveal then uh, something of the history of Australia, something of the history of anthropology, something of the history of the academic study of religion. And then when I put all that together, it also said, well, it also tells me something of my own interests and my own history. So, uh, so then what story tracking does is, is a kind of way of telling everyone's story as clearly as possible, but then realizing as I do that, that all of these are my take on all these stories. So it's a creative story-making process through the whole time, through every aspect of this. Now, uh, this book covers a whole range of things and you, you offer some really interesting analysis of uh, Smith's work and others uh, like Eliade that you mentioned. Um, of course, we can't cover all of them. Um, I'm wondering if, um, kind of to wrap up, if you could uh, tell us how you imagine that others in the study of religion uh, might benefit from, from reading this book. Uh, it, could, could it be uh, following your method, or do you think you've, you've brought new things that will help them uh, analyze their own subject matters? Uh, what might be a kind of takeaway you're hoping readers will get? By, by titling this book, The Proper Study of Religion, I wanted to assess then this first, well, the period, the period of time that really covers my career and Jonathan's of the academic study of religion. So if we begin with that explosion of, uh, of religion departments into academic uh, secular institutions that occurred in the late 1960s, up through sort of Jonathan's retirement and his death, that's about a 50 year period. Uh, my sense is that what happened to the study of religion that began then by incorporating a lot of uh, scholars that were theologically trained, seminary trained uh, into the, the field, that this whole first period of time has been one of trying to understand what a proper academic study of religion should be. Uh, the, the heritage from the Christian studies tipped the study of religion very heavily in that uh, area, I think. The response to that, which in a certain sense, my feeling is it's an over-response, is that the study of religion then has become segmented into area studies that while each of them is important and essential and powerful in itself, it has emphasized uh, area studies and ignored then the general issues of what is religion, what is religion and human culture, what, is relig what does religion say about what it means to be a human being? So that my work, which uh, uh, I, I think as well as much of Jonathan's work, really attempted to say, well, how can we ask that question without both without either assuming um, a religious stance uh, or uh, actually it's just basically to say, how can we study religion uh, from 
a profane perspective, which is outside the temple. That would be what profane would mean. So in a secular institution, how can we make a powerful and important and fundamental study of religion that does not begin with an assumption that is based in religion? So it's on a par with all of the uh, social sciences and even the, even the uh, natural sciences. So that, that what I've wanted to do in this book is really propose a biological and a philosophical foundation on which to build that particular approach. Uh, so what I would hope this book would do would be to be extremely provocative, not necessarily to provide a method that people could simply follow along on, but rather to raise questions that have not been raised before in quite the same way at least, that would then be argued and, um, and discussed and engaged and experimented with as uh, the field then moves on. Uh, my sense is that the field is at a critical point and that this kind of input is really essential uh, to help move it then on forward. Yeah, congratulations, Sam. Yeah, I think you've uh, accomplished that. If nothing else, uh, it's a wonderful conversation starter, and I hope people will uh, continue the conversation moving forward. Excellent. Thank you so much. <laughs>